If you're taking the exam in July 2023 or later, listen up because we will be hosting our masterclass webinar on April 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. That is a Sunday. And the link to register is down in the show notes down below. Y'all can go to ptaelevation.com slash masterclass to sign up. I will be helping giving students the blueprint for NPTE studying. This exam is hard. It's a lot. And a lot of you guys have been reaching out to me being like, I don't even know where to start. This webinar is where to start. So sign up. It's going to be on Sunday, April 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Take care, guys, and I will see you guys soon. What's up, guys? Today, we're going to be talking about DVTs, so deep vein thrombosis. So this is one of those big safety things that's going to show up on the boards. This is definitely one of those where you'll encounter a scenario. You have a patient who might have a DVT, and you're like, oh, crap, what do I do? So when it comes to DVTs, I'm going to cover what it looks like, how it's treated, and like when we need to call 911 or get the physician involved. So let's get into it. So anatomy, so it's usually going to be a clot in the lower leg. So one of those big, deep veins, obviously <laughs> it's in the name, um, those big, deep veins that are down into the leg. And so it's going to end up as a big clot, which is kind of in the shape of the vein itself. It's kind of like a long snake-like looking thing. Um, and it will usually end up in one of these three areas. So when the clot ends up getting dislodged for some reason, it's going to end, go up through the heart, up through the vena cava, usually the inferior because it's coming from the bottom. It's going to go through the right atrium, right ventricle, and then into the pulmonary arteries, which are going to lead to the lungs. So that's why the most common area where it's going to end up is going to be in the lungs. And that will be called a pulmonary embolism. And that is just due to the path the pathway of blood through the heart, through the vena cava, right atrium, right ventricle. And then the next place it's going is into the lungs. And remember the lungs, the blood um, uh, vessels in the lungs are going to get smaller, smaller, smaller until they get to that capillary level. And that's where the gas exchange happens. So if you have this big vein, that's this big vein, like clot that's in the shape of a big vessel coming through the um, pulmonary artery. Once it gets into the lungs, it's going to get stuck somewhere in there because it's going to get too small and it won't go through anymore. So that's why we see it mostly in the lungs as a pulmonary embolism. It could end up going to the brain, which would end up being an ischemic stroke because it is a clot. So we're blocking blood flow. Um, if it was a hemorrhagic stroke, that means that they're bleeding out, but it's ischemic because it's a clot blocking blood flow. And then it's going to, and it could also end up going into the heart itself. And that would be a myocardial infarction. So an MI, a heart attack due to like an ischemic, just stoppage of blood due to the clot. So that's kind of what's happening when it comes to uh, a DVT of where it's coming from and then where it ends up getting stuck due to the um, bottleneck of how the vessels are lined up. So mostly will end up in the lungs as a pulmonary embolism. So that's why this is super dangerous because that can kill you. So etiology of this is the most common ones are going to be prolonged sitting slash bed rest in general, just not moving or any sort of immobilization. So this is most common when we see somebody who's been sitting on an airplane for a long time. That's why we tell people, especially people who are long and can't really like move their legs in the seat to like, at least like do heel raises, ankle pumps, something to stand up, walk up and down the aisle, like one or two times just to keep themselves moving, to keep the blood from pooling and then increasing the risk of a, uh, DVT. Um, bed rest in general, any reason why a most common one we're seeing is like hypertension during pregnancy. So that's preeclampsia. And that's where they will tell the pregnant person that they need to stay on bed rest, keep their head 
the head of the bed down a little bit sometimes and just not move around because they don't want to have any sort of risk of their blood pressure spiking and then going into eclampsia. We don't want that at all. That's really bad. That could kill someone. And then spinal cord injuries is the next biggest one, especially because the board sites to talk about this, they literally can't move their legs. So making sure that we're keeping, you know, passive range of motion, self range of motion, things working on transfers and stuff, just to at least get the legs like moving somewhat because they can't move them themselves because they're immobilized. Then also this could be a fresh spinal cord injury where they literally have to um, have everything immobilized to be able to heal properly. So being careful about that. So anybody who's not doing anything for a while, at least like three days of immobilization, um, we're, we're getting, we're getting risks of that. And then also just that sitting like a couple hours of sitting, definitely not good at all. So being careful about that, um, obesity and smoking are going to increase your risk of blood clots in general, just due to the pressure and like all of the other bad side effects that are going to come with obesity and stuff. And then smoking ends up just increasing your risk of clotting and things like that. That's why they'll ask you if you're on like birth control or something. So that's another one if you smoke as well, because that will increase your risk of a DVT forming. So birth control is one of those big ones. And that's due to the estrogen that is in the birth control. And that is something that can um, be a risk of forming clots somewhere in the body. Then that also ends up being um, in the DVT, the deep vein thrombosis, so the veins as well. So being careful about that because it might ask you a question about a woman who's are like younger and she's on birth control and everything, like which one of these is she at risk for? Just understand that that's something to educate patients about that they might not exactly know about when it comes to birth control. Um, so being careful about that. And then also hormone replacement therapy. So people may be on hormone replacement therapy for a variety of different things. Someone might've had uh, ovarian cancer and then needs to have hormone replacement therapy because they no longer produce their own estrogen. It could be somebody who is um, transitioning and they are taking estrogen in order to be gender affirming. So we need to make sure that whatever the case is with this person, if they are on hormonal estrogen, to be careful to make sure that they're not um, accidentally putting them at even higher risk of a DVT. So kind of keeping an eye on that. If you're seeing like, it's the kind of thing if the shoe is fitting, let's be careful. Like if they're showing all like the redness and hot to the touch and everything. And like, let's say they're on hormone replacement there, like just being careful about that when it comes to, um, in the legs, cancer is another one that's going to increase your risk of clotting in general, just because cancer decides to just, just wreak havoc on the entire body, vascular surgery, or any sort of surgeries in general. So especially the vascular ones, because it's actually forming like a clot to heal itself in the vascular, like parts of the vein. And so we just got to be careful with that. And then surgery in general is going to increase your risk of clotting because you have had an open wound and it's trying to work on, um, like clotting factors are going crazy to try to like repair the wound. So that might end up forming a DVT somewhere in the lower extremity. And then another thing we need to be careful about is especially with our patients who are um, post-surgical from a total knee replacement, because a lot of the symptoms of a DVT look very similar to just the normal things we would see after somebody's had any replacement. So just being very careful about that, that we're not seeing any big red flags for DVT. Um, and then inherited blood clotting disorders, uh, this can just randomly cause a DVT. It's more of the, on the rare side when it comes to all of these things. I'd say the most common like factor you're gonna see here is somebody who is on birth control because that could be like almost half the population. And then uh, the obesity and smoking, definitely very careful about, but their inherited blood clotting disorders is a little bit more rare. 
So here are our big red flags. I'm very proud of this red flag picture I found off of Google. But be careful, guys, because over 50% of DVDs end up being asymptomatic. So you don't really see anything at all. So that's why we've got to get, be careful of these external factors that if we see like one of these things compared with one of these external factors that we're like, mm, this could be a problem. So just kind of taking note of what patients might be more at risk of a DVT than others. So here are the cardinal signs of a DVT. So these are the things that we want to be very, very, very careful about. Um, a positive Homan sign. So the board is going to test you on the Homan side. Personally, I decide not to perform this test on patients because I'm worried that it's actually going to dislodge the clot. And this is what uh, Jimmy McKay was talking about on his podcast, the PT study cast. I would definitely check that out. It's more for PTs and everything, but good extra resources if you guys are interested. So what the Homan sign is, is you're going to dorsiflex the foot and then you're going to squeeze the calf and see if there's any pain with that. Um, if there is, that would be a positive sign. But remember, we don't take one sign in isolation. We would see, okay, this is kind of adding to the picture. So if we see a positive home and sign, the swelling, the pain sensitivity, the hotness, okay, yeah, we're kind of putting context clues together. This is probably a DVT. The reason why I don't personally uh, use the home and signs to test for a DVT is because I'm worried that my squeeze itself is going to dislodge the clot. Also, it's kind of puts patients in a lot of pain as well. And I think you can get the job done just by touching it because it's, when you have an actual patient who has a DVT, it's super sensitive. They're like, ah, it like hurts to touch. Sometimes even just having the pressure of the leg sitting on the table or like the pant, like brushing against it is like so much. So it's usually super sensitive that I feel like I don't need to put the patient through extra pain when they're already literally in pain, just with their pant leg on. So just being careful about that. Again, the cardinal signs of a DVT are going to be the swelling like I'm talking like the leg is like ballooning up and it's like shiny and everything. You'll have the pain or sensitivity in general. So that's what I was talking about just to the touch kind of ends up being super painful. And then a lot of redness and erythema that is going to just be that we're seeing that it's getting really, really, really bright red. And the erythema is just redness. Fancy word, the boards is going to throw in the fancy words, the medical terms, just to make sure that you're aware of that when you see it in a chart. Um, and that we are making sure that we know exactly what we're looking at when we see it. Now, the Wells criteria, this is like essentially like an outcome thing to like look objectively and see, okay, let's score this. Like this is one point, this is another point and a score greater than two means the patient is at risk for a DVT. So let me show you what the Wells criteria looks like. So that's some pictures of the legs, but let me show you the Wells criteria first. So you'll get a score for each one of these things. So like active cancer, because remember that's a risk, you would have a score of one that immobilization surgery, like in the last three weeks or immobilization for less than three days. That's why I was saying like that three day kind of mark, you end up getting that one score because that's increasing your risk. Slap swelling increases three centimeters compared to the other leg. This is what I mean by the legs ballooning. So you're like, oh, this isn't good lateral superficial veins present. This is just showing that there's definitely something blocking it. So the veins are starting to become more prominent, bad, entire leg swollen. So if you have localized swelling, like for example, a knee replacement, we see that the knee in the surrounding area ends up being a little bit swollen. Okay. Like we understand that, but if the entire leg, like down into the feet and toes ends up swelling, then we're like, oh, okay, something's going wrong. Pitting edema only in the symptomatic leg. So if the other leg ends up being slightly swollen, but there's no pitting edema, but then the symptomatic leg, you see the pitting edema. So the pitting edema, again, if we press down, it leaves a mark. I like to think of like putty or something. You press down, you see your like little indent of where your hand, your finger was. That's the same thing. So that pitting edema, um, 
paralysis. So if we're starting to see some neuropathy kind of happening in the leg, you're seeing that drop foot and everything because the nerve's getting compressed because it's getting so swollen. That would also be something that we're like, oh, that's a problem. And if they've had a DVT before, that puts you at risk of having one again, because that could be like you're predisposed with those uh, blood clotting disorders that we were talking about, or like you have those risk factors of like smoking and stuff like that. That's just going to increase their chance. And then here's the fun thing about the Wells criteria. You get minus two points if you have an alternate diagnosis um, to a DVT. So this is essentially saying, okay, let's say we have our total knee replacement person. We're seeing that the calf is swollen. Okay, we're seeing that. They had surgery. Okay, we're seeing that. But um, okay, we're seeing some, you know, localized tenderness and everything in the leg. We're like, okay, they're pretty swollen up. Um, so we're at a score of three. So we're like, oh no, this person's in trouble. Well, they had a knee replacement like two days ago. So we're like, okay, well, that's why that it's like swollen and red and everything. And we're seeing problems. So we would be minus two. So then they'd only be at a score of one. So then you're like, okay, this person probably doesn't have a DVT. They're probably just having all the symptoms of a knee replacement. Does that mean that we should still screen them and make sure everything's good? Of course, we don't want to accidentally miss a DVT. But understanding that you might see a lot of these like signs and symptoms and be like, oh, no, no, no. But then they had a knee replacement. It's like, okay, well, that probably explains at least most of this. Let's just make sure. Again, that like super sensitive, hot, hot, hot. Like I'm talking like hot, like like hot hands, like warm. Like it's like very warm. That is where we would be like, oh, no. So going back to this other picture, though. So on the left here, we have a like Caucasian individual. So more light-skinned individual. And you can see on this left leg how it's like red and swollen, very swollen in, in comparison to the right leg. And we're seeing like, like this shininess. The shininess is that like big thing where we're like, oh no, it's a problem. But we can see it's red. We can see it's swollen. We can't touch it. I know the pain sensitivity right now, but already seeing those things, we're like, okay, this is a problem. So this is honestly probably the closest I would say you would see to like an actual DVT kind of forming because it's like usually in that acute setting and we're like, oh no, this is bad. Um, but this is super common, just seeing the difference between the two lower extremities that usually helps ask the patient to roll up its other, their other pant, pant leg and see what's going on. Um, with this individual, so this is a more darker skinned individual, and we can see that it's shiny. We can't really see the redness too much. And this is, the board is going to test you usually with a um, a white person, just because the fair skin is just easier to see things to test for the boards to make sure you know what you're seeing. But we, it's important that we know what people of all different skin tones look like when it comes to having a DVT. So you'll see the shininess. That's the big thing. You kind of see this red, but what you can really see is like, okay, this leg is ballooned compared to the other one. Like this is definitely a problem. And also you can see all the way down into, especially like the dorsal aspect of the foot, you can see the whole entire leg is swollen. So this is what I mean by like the entire leg swollen on here, entire leg swollen. So that would definitely be a one point for this person. You don't see that they had a knee replacement kind of thing. Uh, like a scar. So you're like, okay, this person probably is a DVT. So this is what it will look like on darker skinned individuals and lighter skinned individuals. Understand that you can't really see the redness in here, but it's important to know what this looks like because missing a DVT is how we kill people. So we need to make sure we are doing our job to make sure that this is not going to be a problem or cause anybody to not be okay. So if we see this, what are we doing? We are going to stop therapy immediately. The patient is sitting down we're not touching them. We're not doing anything. Um, 
we're probably have they're probably on the table or something because we just assess them to see what's going on they probably were complaining about it we're not moving anymore because every time they take a step anytime they pump their calf or anything they're increasing their risk of having a dvt so we're stopping therapy and we're immediately sending them to the emergency room um what we're going to do as like ptas we're first step you'll get the pt involved eventually but we are calling the physician and we're telling them um we're sending your patient Mr. Jones, Carter Jones, or whatever their name is, to the ER right now because we suspect a DVT. And you tell them the signs and symptoms that you've seen, the tests and measures you've done, you document all this stuff as well, immediately sending it over to the physician, call the physician at whatever hours. And you're telling them the patient's going to the ER, I'm letting you know it's this patient, blah, blah, blah. We're sending them right now, we're at so and so physical therapy. Um, if patients unable to get themselves to the hospital, for example, they're not driving or something like that, or don't have family around to drive them, you're going to call an ambulance. I know that we're in the United States, so it's stupid expensive, but um, better than having your patient not come back again because they didn't make it. Uh, and so you'll call an ambulance to make sure the patient is getting to the ER. If the patient ends up not going to the ER, you have done everything you can. You've notified the physician. You have told the patient what to do. You've explained like the, like the signs and symptoms you've documented and everything you are, have followed up. Usually what happens is the physician ends up calling the patient as well. And it's like, are you on the way to the hospital? I'll meet you there kind of thing. So um, that's, that's kind of what's going on, but you've made sure you've covered yourself at the hospital. The patient will receive anticoagulant and, and, and uh, thrombolytic agents. So remember the anticoagulants to keep it from clotting again. And the thrombolytic is to break up the existing clot. So this is to make sure that we get rid of the clot and then we make sure it's not happening again. So they're going to be on some pharmacological management for a little bit. And this is why we will have no PT or essentially anything. The patient's just going to be bedridden for 24 hours after we started all those like pharmacological interventions uh, to make sure that they get through their system, they bust up everything and the clot is not going to be dislodged or anything. So once the patient has been cleared by their physician to return to therapy, they might end up having like a compression stocking on just to make sure that they're kind of like keeping the blood from pooling down into the leg because that definitely is not ideal to just, we just try to keep the blood moving and everything because after the clot blocking everything, there could be a problem. Um, and then the main thing that we're going to do is patient education to a lot to teach them that they need to keep moving to avoid like sitting there bed rest and everything. I actually, just got off the phone with my grandma. She's like, I need to start moving again. All I do is lay on the couch with my legs up. I'm like, well, that could put you at risk of stuff. So we're making sure that we're keeping our patients moving and that we're avoiding another clot forming in the future. Cause the last thing we want is for them to already go through all of this stuff again. And then have to go back and do it again because they decided to sit there all day. So just teaching patients to do ankle pumps, keep moving, get up, walk around, don't sit here forever and avoid another clot forming. Because remember, if you've had one before, you're at risk of forming another one. So just send them to the ER, tell a doctor, make sure that they're going and education on the back end and no PT for 24 hours. So keywords I want you guys to think about when you're seeing this on the exam is any of those red flags for when it comes to the signs and symptoms of a DVT. So that like warmth, hot to the touch, like I'm talking like hot, like it feels like it's, it's warm. You guys will see in the sample question of like what I'm talking about. Um, that pain sensitivity kind of thing, like super, super sensitive, a home and sign. So if the board decides to talk about that, with they see that they have a positive home and sign, understand that that means positive for DVT, um, redness, erythema. So all of that just like ballooning 
redness with the swelling and everything. The Wells criteria, so when that's mentioned, that's specific for DVTs and everything. A patient who has been immobilized or had surgery recently or a spinal cord injury, because remember the biggest thing for people who are mobilized is to move them around to avoid one, pressure ulcers. We don't want those because that's, you know, infection stuff, bad, septic, not good. And number two is to avoid any sort of DVTs or blood clots because those are the big things we don't want happening. And those people who have been immobilized or spinal cord injuries are at the highest risk of having one of those two things happen. So we covered the other one of pressure ulcers. Now we're on the one of um, uh, DVTs. All right, guys, sample question. A physical therapist assistant is treating a patient who recently had a right total knee arthroplasty. The patient notes that the knee is still swollen and red. However, the patient remarks how they like how hot and warm their knee is and now that it has the, hold on. A sample question, guys. A physical therapist assistant is treating a patient who recently had a right total knee arthroplasty. The patient notes that the knee is still swollen and red. However, the patient remarks how they like how hot and warm their knee is now and has been using their right leg as a hand warmer since it is cold outside. What should the therapist do with this information? One, laugh and continue with therapy. Two, explain to the patient that this is a normal symptom following a total knee arthroplasty. Three, tell the patient to go to the ER immediately because you suspect that they have a DVT. Or four, tell the patient to go to the ER immediately and call the patient's physician. So I'll give you guys a second to think about this. And yes, this was a real patient. <laughs> Right, guys so the answer is number four tell the patient to go to the ER immediately and call the patient's physician now while that this remark of saying that they've been using their hand their leg as a hand warmer is kind of funny and how they want to explain it you should not just laugh and continue with therapy um because this is definitely one of those red flags because it's hot like hot hot that's why I was like it's, it's hot. So we want to be careful with that because that's a big red flag. Um, explaining to the patient that this is a normal symptom following a total knee arthroplasty. So this is one of those things where we're like, okay, if they were like, my knee's just like a lit, like there, it's just warmer than normal kind of thing. Then you're like, okay, well, we're looking at our Wells criteria. That's like, now we've scored a one because we have to minus two because of the possibility that this is just something else. Okay. Um, this is not normal for it to be that hot. Um, tell the patient to go to the ER immediately because you suspect they have a DVT. Okay, this is good. We're telling the patient to go to the ER and we're suspecting a DVT. However, we can't diagnose the patient and what we think that they have. Um, and we need to make sure we're calling the physician. And that's why number four is the correct answer because while we probably wouldn't be bad telling them like yeah, we think you might have a blood clot definitely go to the ER um like in the reality of things that might make a patient more inclined to go to the ER but we can't diagnose that's the thing um and so the best thing is for us to tell the patient they need to go to the ER immediately and that we need to call the patient's physician if we're not seeing an answer that says notify the physician it's not the right answer we need to make sure that the physician is notified because they're the one that's going to be going in and fixing the problem essentially. And also they need to be notified of things that are happening with their patients that could result in something catastrophic happening because they are technically the person who's like a lead, lead, lead in charge of this patient. So we make sure the physician is aware, the patient has been notified to go to the ER. And then once we do that, we document like crazy. We document, we document, we document. We like literally write an assessment that's like probably like two paragraphs long. Um, 
because we do not want to get sued for this. Uh, and we want to make sure that the physician has all the information possible before seeing this patient. Um, so that is DVTs in a nutshell, guys. And yes, this was a real patient. We sent that to the ER. She was fine. Um, but patients are going to say some crazy stuff and you just got to make sure you're reading through the lines of what they're actually saying. Cause this patient thought that it was just funny. And I was like, Oh no. So, um, yeah, be careful with your patients and the boards might ask you something along these lines. They'll start throwing out those, um, keywords that I was talking about with the red flags and the specific criteria that we're seeing with this patient. And if you're seeing like things blaring in your head, DBT, DBT, it's better safe than sorry to lean that way because it's, if you've had a patient who you suspect had a DVT, you send them to the ER and everything turns out they just had some like weird clotting kind of thing going on with like their blood work and stuff, but then end up not having a DVT. It's better safe than sorry. It's really better safe than sorry because you, you don't want someone to clot after, especially like lower extremity surgeries. Anyways, I hope that this was helpful guys, and I will see you guys in the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the PTA Elevation Podcast. We look forward to continually serving you as you embark on your journey towards becoming a licensed physical therapist assistant. We thank you for your continued support and we'll see you in the next episode.